0: A few years ago, about 18 months ago, I was actually having a conversation with Brian McLaren. Many of you all know Brian or you've you've read his books, and we were chatting about who are the real bright folks who are making a big difference, who are the preachers we're supposed to be listening to, and Brian McLaren said to me, there's this guy up in Morgantown, Kentucky, Now, the fact is, if I hadn't have already met Josh Scott and knew that he was from Morgantown, Kentucky, I would have probably said, you're blinking me whenever McLaren says, there's this guy up in Morgantown, Kentucky, but but Josh Scott is on Brian McLaren's short list of the preachers you want to be listening to in this day and age. And so we're very proud that he'll be with us. He's been for 14 years. At MCC, he euphemistically refers to it, which is Morgantown Community Church. You name it a community church when nobody actually wants to identify with you. Uh, It's like you can't get anybody to let you actually be in their club, and so you just say community, and it kind of works. Is that approximately right? Um, They have two adopted children. They're very active and involved with a lot of work with children. They're uh, uh, presently foster parents to three other children, uh, doing some real good stuff. The real deal, he's he's uh does some teaching at, at Western Kentucky University. Uh I have to say this: there's a sense in which some of us, especially those of you all are who are from from Williamson County, that you're kind of like Williamson County refugees. You know, you're sort of like the goo-goo progressives who are trying to like hide out and not get caught. Um and so it's you know who you are. And 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 I come over from Rutherford County, you know, to do to do the same thing. So there's in one sense it it encourages me that I get to come and be with you all and to realize that that there's this sort of outpost. But one of the things I want you to always be cognizant of that Grace Point is a part of something really big. I believe the hand of God is is moving in an incredible way. And to use Malcolm Gladwell's term, we're in the middle of our very near to a, a tipping point. And whenever we look back, we see that the hill has been long and hard and tiring, but we're just a few feet from, from top in the crest. And when that happens, it'll be like a teeter-totter, and it will just open things up. And a part of why I know that is that it's not just us Williamson County refugees who gather here and, and, and swap these ideas around or the other folks I engage with in various and sundry places. But Josh leads a church in Morgantown, Kentucky, that embraces a progressive faith. And that's a tipping point, folks. And that's, that's encouraging to me. It makes me feel very much like I'm not in this by myself. We're not alone. Uh, it's really great to have Josh Scott here, one of Brian McLaren's favorite preachers. Thank you a lot for being here, Josh.
1: thanks Jeff um, I, I'm going to need that from Brian in writing if we could work on that that would be great to hang up on my wall um, it is so great to see you it's so great to be at Grace Point I, I'm going to promise that I'm going to try not to cough very much tonight uh, I'm in the middle of this allergy deal and uh, so I was hacking on the front row and I messed up the beautiful music so I apologize for that um, Grace Point means a lot to me. It means a lot to our community in Morgantown. Uh, When I first discovered Grace Point, it was by accident. It was actually, funny enough, I was online stalking Brian McLaren, uh, wanted to find out where he was going to be. Uh, and he was actually, this was, I guess, 2014 in September, so just a few years ago. Uh, and you all were hosting him at Grace Point. And so I called and said, can we bring a group of people down? And um, they said, whoever we talked to said yes. And that's where I met Stan for the first time. We became quick friends. And uh, the rest is history. And it's been amazing to watch you all and the way you have uh, stood for love and inclusion. And you have been inspiring to so many churches across the country. I know this work is hard. I know this work is hard. It makes relationships weird, doesn't it? Um, you lose things. You lose friendships. You, and yet what you gain and what you have gained and what you have given to the world, my goodness, um, the world needs churches like Grace Point. And you have begun something here uh, that has just, is, is like Jeff said, it's starting to cascade in all sorts of fun and beautiful ways. So uh, the philosopher Dallas Willard said familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. The idea is that you can be so up on something and so used to it that you just sort of become unfamiliar with it. Uh, we have uh, at our kitchen sink. There's a window, and I love looking. Especially when we first moved there, I love looking out our kitchen window because there's trees, and when the sun sets in the evening, they're just they just turn gold, and they're absolutely beautiful. And we lived in this house for three, four years now, uh, and I don't really pay attention out the window anymore. Um, we we have. Five kids. Uh, Four of them are two and a half and under. So, yes. So, uh, we wash a lot of sippy cups. Uh, A lot of sippy cups. And sometimes I'm just like, i got to wash the sippy cups. And I don't look out the window. And when we have friends who come over and they've never been to our house before, they always say something about the view out our back porch. And I'm so familiar that sometimes it becomes unfamiliar. I think that happens with the Bible. I think it happens with faith. I think it happens in all sorts of ways. And there's a story um, that I want to read a snippet of. uh, And then I want to think through what its implications are. It's a story of a guy named Moses. Uh, You've probably heard the story. It's a story about a guy named Moses. And Moses is on the run because he killed somebody in Egypt. Um, He he saw somebody abusing a Hebrew, Moses was a Hebrew, and he lashes out, he kills him, he buries him, and it gets found out. And so Moses runs away and he becomes a shepherd. He's hiding out in the desert and something happens. Exodus 3, verse 1, Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro. By the way, come on. He just married her for the cement pond, folks. Like that's, that's what's happening in this story. Uh, Midian's priest, he led his flock to the edge of the desert, And he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. There's all sorts of discussion among the rabbis who have written on this and talked about this. And one of the things they ask is, how many times had Moses been by this spot? How many times did he walk by this particular bush? How many times had he taken his sheep on this path? And in this moment, he sees something, something out of the ordinary, something he didn't expect, something he'd never seen before. But is it possible that the bush had always been burning, that every time he walked by, he'd just been so familiar that it had somehow become unfamiliar, that he was just so used to it that it no longer spoke to him in the same way. The story of the Exodus, which is the foundational story of the Hebrew Scriptures, actually begins because somebody was curious. He sees the bush. If you walked by and saw a bush on fire, what would be your first instinct? To grab an extinguisher, fire extinguisher, right? To grab some water and douse it out. And yet Moses, his first instinct is to go, huh, that's weird. I need to know more about that. Curiosity, launches. In the Hebrew scriptures, launches what they would call as the history of salvation. Being rescued from bondage in Egypt begins because somebody stops long enough to see something and to wonder about it and to be interested in it and to be willing to sort of change their plans because of it. Curiosity. When's the last time we had a sermon on curiosity? When's the last time we were encouraged to be curious? What I think is really interesting though is that kids sort of are born into the world with curiosity, one of our littles, um, she tricked me into keeping her home one day because she said her ear hurt. And I took her to the doctor and the doctor said, she's totally fine, she just played you. And so I did what any parent would do. I took her to Target to get a toy because that's ingenuity and it needs to be rewarded. Um, And so I'm pushing her in Target down the aisles and she is just interested in everything. And so she continually, everything we looked at, she would say, what that? I say, well, that's that's an ink pen. What that? That's a picture frame. What that? That's a bottle of juice. And just everything she saw, her question was, what that? And she does it all the time. And she'll even do it for things that she knows what they are. She just wants to ask, what's that? Nobody taught her to ask. Nobody taught her, you need to wonder about things. You need to ask what they are. You need to ask what they do. You need to ask how they work. In her, somewhere, is just this naturally arising penchant for wonder. I had that as a kid, too. Uh, I grew up in the early 80s, and there was a TV show on called MacGyver. Any MacGyver fans? All right, good people. Not the new reboot, because they ran out of ideas and had to do something new. I'm talking about the old Richard Dean Anderson MacGyver. I got so addicted to this show, and I was really interested, because he seemed to know something about everything. And all he needed was a Swiss army knife and a roll of duct tape. And so I decided I can do the same things he does. And I got a Swiss army knife and I got some duct tape and I started taking everything in our house apart. I had one of those phones that were clear and you could see the inner workings. Who takes apart a phone that you can see how it works? I did. I got a magnifying, no, what's the thing you look through? No, it was a little one. Microscope. I got a microscope for Christmas one year and immediately took it apart and couldn't get it back together, so I just duct taped it, the whole thing. It never worked again, never. My parents were not happy with me. And and yet there was something in me that just wanted to learn, just wanted to figure out how it works, why it works. I think about this every time I get on an airplane. I hate heights, I love flying, except for that moment when the wheels leave the runway and the question goes through my mind every time, why does this work? And people will be like, well, there's lift and there's thrust. No, I'm asking, why does it work? It shouldn't work. And it does. And it's amazing and it's interesting. Um, We watch a lot of kids' shows. And there's one particular scene um, on a show. uh, It's a movie called The Crudes. Did anybody watch The Crudes? Where uh, they don't leave the cave because leaving the cave is dangerous. And the dad's telling a story about this bear. And he says, this bear bear was alive and it was real. And then she left the cave and she saw something new and she died. Like the seeing of the new thing led to her demise. And and we laugh about that, but there's a lot of truth to that. I I grew up in a pretty conservative religious home. Uh, I grew up uh, Free Will Baptist, my grandfather was a pastor. Uh, and after he passed away, we decided that we would be the liberals in the family. We moved to a Southern Baptist church because we were renegades. Uh, and I'll never forget when I became a pastor, when I was, I'd been preaching since I was a teenager, but I finally got my first gig and it did not go well, but that's a whole other story only for my therapist. And um, I, was, I, was trained, I was preparing for my ordination, which involved... Um, the the pastor gave me a book that was on what Baptists believe. And I went home and I read the book. And at my ordination, we sat down in front of everybody and he asked me questions about Baptist doctrines. And I just verbatim repeated stuff that I'd read in the book. Because my job was to just memorize these things and then put them back out. I often wonder if somebody from another planet had been watching my ordination take place, If if they were to say, what does it mean to be a person of faith I wonder what they would say. They would probably say, well, it has a lot to do with believing the right things, being able to regurgitate the right principles. It it was never about being curious. It was never about asking questions. It was never about learning something new. It was really about just repeating the same old answers, not rocking the boat. And if you had some sort of question, and I bet some of you in this room have had this experience. If you had a question of some sort, uh, if you just couldn't believe, if you had a doubt, if something had gone wrong, it, it ultimately came back to the fact that you weren't praying enough, you weren't reading your Bible enough, you didn't believe hard enough. Right? Anybody have that experience? Like it's somehow a deficiency in your humanity that you just can't do it. You just can't believe enough as if the point was having all the right beliefs, as if we could know who has all the right beliefs to begin with. I generally think it's me, but there are people who disagree, right? So there's this reality that We've been handed, what, what people often think is we've been handed a faith that, and our job is to just regurgitate everything we've ever heard. The tried and true, the same, just say what you've been taught. And then for many of us, something happens. And we begin to have a doubt or a question and the whole thing begins to unravel. You know, the thing about Jesus though, is Jesus actually encouraged an expansive, curious faith. He said to his followers at one point, they brought a child in and he said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like these children. Now we love, love kids in our world, don't we? In our culture at least, we love kids. In the ancient world, kids weren't sentimental. They they were just sort of utilitarian. They were there to help work and they were, I mean, when Jesus says, Children, he's actually taking somebody who would have been on the bottom rung of society, but he's doing something more. Like, what are kids like? Kids always ask, what dat? Right? They always wonder. They wonder why. They wonder how. They have so many questions. And when Jesus decides, I'm going to explain what the kingdom is like. Well, the kingdom belongs to people who ask lots and lots of questions, who have lots of curiosity, who wonder about lots of things. It's because in those wonderings and questions, you begin to experience and see a whole new level of reality. That's what's going on. Jesus says people who are open, curious, people who are willing to ask the difficult questions, people who are willing to wonder what if or or why those people somehow begin to experience what God's doing in the world in a really unique and important way. So what I'd like to do today, tonight is just I want to share a little bit about, uh, I've been thinking about cultivating a spirituality of curiosity. Um, and when I say cultivate, I'm going to give you a few things that I've been finding helpful. I think anytime you try to like just list in bullet points stuff that it just or, or give like this is exactly how you should be curious, like that just misses the boat, right? Misses the point. So I'm not going to tell you this is just, I'm just not going to tell you how you should do it. I'm just going to tell you some things that have been helpful for me. And the first thing I discovered was that when I really wanted to pursue curiosity when it comes to spirituality, I had to first and foremost let go of fear because at the heart of a lot of Christian spirituality is fear. It's the fear that if I don't get this right, God is gonna send me to hell. Fear that if I believe, the wrong, and I'm telling you, I talk to people all of the time who have fear that if any part of their theology is wrong, I actually know a person who, if you try to give them a book, they won't take it because they're afraid they'll learn something in the book that will send them to hell. Like it's that level of Anxiety. We, we've created a religious system that just in so many ways inspires anxiety in people. And, and that's sort of the opposite. Spirituality is trying to do the opposite, right? It's trying to bring us into wholeness and harmony. So I just let go of fear. There's this great line that everybody knows from 1 John chapter 4. God is what? Love. That did not sound inspired. Let's try it again and act like you really believe it's true. God is love right and then you know what it says there is no fear in love because perfect in the word perfect there it means complete or whole whole complete love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment fear has to do with punishment I mean, you see this in kids. When kids are made to believe that their worth is tied to how they take a test or their worth is tied to getting it right on their sports or the team or whatever they do, they they just live in a whole different way. They live at a different level of, like, I can't try anything because I might mess up. And maybe that's the thing you've believed before. It's like, if I try anything, it's just gonna fall apart and I'm gonna mess up. And if I mess up, who I am ceases to be as important. My value drops. I'm just not gonna matter anymore. And the reality is, that you are going and I am going in this life, in this world, we are going to completely blow it numerous times. If you haven't already, you're going to fail. Everybody's going to fail. And the good news of our tradition is that when we fail, God's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's okay, that happens. And that means that you may develop, if you take away this idea of punishment, that that God's love for us depends on us getting it all right, then you can begin to ask some really good questions, knowing that you are completely safe in the love of God to ask whatever questions come across your mind. That, that God does not see your questions as a threat, that God does not see your curiosity as something that needs to be stamped out. And it could actually be that the bush is burning and God is trying to pull you over and your curiosity pulls you into that space where you learn something new about God or about humanity or about yourself. So I think it begins with saying, look, my, my worth as a human being, my safety Uh, in God, isn't tied one single bit to my performance or the fact that I get something right or wrong. I am deeply loved and accepted right where I am. And I think the next thing I've learned is that you have to let go of certainty. If there's one thing I'm certain about, it's that I'm not really certain. You'll get that later. Because certainty assumes that we somehow have this way of knowing and I, I think most of the things I believe are probably true, but I don't, I don't have any way to validate that. And what I've found to be far more helpful than certainty in my life has been trust. It's been trust. The trust that my value to God isn't determined on how well I believe or how certain I am or how, much, how hard I work. I, I'm deeply loved. So it's, it's learning to let go. And I think for lots and lots of people, certainty has become sort of the altar we bow down at, right? It's, how many of you have ever had this question ask you, If you died tonight, do you know for sure? you know how many times I got saved? At youth camp when they asked, do you know for sure? Well, gosh, no. I didn't get anything in the mail. Like nobody sent me any sort of membership card. I got nothing. So I'll go down every time if I I need to be sure. And certainty is, gosh, it just doesn't doesn't actually do anything because it doesn't exist and it's not real. What's real is that you and I can live lives grounded in trust. Trust that whatever we mean by the word God, that it is far more loving and far more generous and far more compassionate and, and far more interested in us than we could ever possibly imagine. Trust that for however long we get to call this place home, however long we get to live on this earth, that there is work for us to do. And that work is not sitting back because we're afraid of getting it wrong. It's diving in and learning and growing and changing. That's what it's really all about. When you let go of fear and you let go of certainty, what I found then is it, it really matters that I'm intentional. Uh, it matters that I'm intentional. What, what I mean by that is I struggle with quietness. Does anybody else struggle with quietness? Uh, I'm, I'm an Enneagram seven. How many of you know what that means? Yeah, yeah, I'm a seven. So I just want to have fun all the time. My, my initial impulse is where's the party? Let's do that, right? Like that's just who I am. And so I, I can tend to not be a person who uh, intentionally has quiet time. I have this friend named David. And David is, uh, he's married to one of my elders. Uh, her name's Donna, and she's fantastic. And David and I started, uh, we did a boot camp together over the summer. And then we started running together in the mornings. And David is like my own personal guru. And we downloaded this app together to help us be more mindful. And every time I see him, you know what question he asks me? Are you using the mindfulness app? And I, you know what I always say back? I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and then uh, the other day I was doing it, and I had these kind of prayer beads that somebody had given me, and I don't, I think I was doing it wrong because they literally broke, like the prayer beads broke in the middle of my mindfulness when I was de-stressing. I guess I was squeezing them too tightly. I'm learning though that paying attention requires some priority. It requires giving. I mean, we're busy. Uh, we have five kids. All right oldest is now playing football, and I'm, I am got to be one of the coaches, so that's great. We're together all the time, but the one day they don't really have anything is on Sunday, and I kind of have a gig, right? So we're really busy, and I'm finding that if I don't make intentional decisions about when I'm going to like open myself up to the God of the universe or whatever, like it's just not going to happen. So I think it begins with paying attention. It begins with paying attention to how I feel. It begins with paying attention to what my questions are. It begins, and it, it's just intentionally setting aside moments in your life to see that the bush is actually burning, that this is holy ground. And this is a place where you s- slip off your shoes and you're just in awe of, this life we get to live. I mean, when you think about it, the fact that we live in a world like this is pretty amazing. And taking regular time, and and I I struggle with this, I'm being honest about it, but I I think making it a priority to, to just pause in moments and see that the thing you've been walking past all the time, maybe that's where it's been the whole time. Maybe the thing, the bush that's been burning is the one you pass every day. Maybe it's a person that you pass every moment of your life because you're so close to them that you don't see what's actually going on. I love that reading Shelley did. and It reminds me of this, that, that, and I, I learned this from an Aerosmith song in the 90s. Life is a journey, not a destination. That, that's a profound truth. Every time I get into the car, and I'm going somewhere, whether it's for vacation or whatever, the only thing I want to do is get there. Anybody else have that problem? I just want to get there. I just want to get there, get there, get there. And when I get there, I'm thinking, well, now I have to drive home. And so now I just want to get there. It's all about going from one place to another. And the reality is the, the journey really is where the stories are made. The journey really is where you learn. I mean, how many of us would go to a movie that had a beginning and an end, but no middle? Right? The middle's the point. The middle is what matters. The middle is where you grow, where you learn, where you're transformed, where you where you meet people, where you grow relationships. That's what's in the middle. The middle is where the life is, and we end up treating life like, um, like we did in in grade school. When I was in grade school, because uh, I, I went to elementary to high school, we didn't have a middle school, so that's K through eight, and then high school. We had. Loved having substitute teachers because the textbooks we had, I don't know, I'm sure this is true everywhere, but the textbooks we had had all the answers in the back, the teacher's edition. It would be on the desk. And when you had a substitute, sometimes you could convince them, you could trick them to leave the room so that then you could go up and sit down at the desk and start calling out answers. It was fantastic. Didn't learn a thing though, right? Because when you just want to get the right answer, you're missing that the point is learning how to work the equation. The point is learning how these things work in relationship. I think curiosity begins when we allow ourselves to just be in the middle. I grew up in a spirituality that really just wanted to get out of here. Right? It was about God turning on that big vacuum cleaner in the sky and just taking all of us up. And that's what people lived for. And I think, my goodness, this is it. The middle. Where we learn, where we grow, where we make relationships, where we fall in love, where we help someone in need, where somebody helps us. Those, that, those are the moments. And, and, and I, I've also found that I have to insist on not being bored. You guys ever get bored? When you're a kid, you don't get bored. You know what happened? I mean, I'm just telling you, you what's your four littles? I, they have never experienced in their life a single solitary nanosecond of boredom. Everything is an adventure. You ever spend lots of money on a toy for your kids and then you open it and put it together and what is the one thing they want more than Anything. The stupid box. Like, why did we just not go buy a box? Wrap the box. Save $200 and say, this is your present. Right? Because for a kid, that's, my goodness, we we buy these diapers and the kids will just get in the diaper boxes and play. They're having the time of their lives and I'm just gonna be like, that's a diaper box. They're just never bored. But when kids begin to grow, they do become bored. Our eight-year-old gets bored and he'll be sitting with the TV on with, his, with a phone in his hands, doing something and go, I'm so bored. Bored? Do you realize my first cell phone was in a bag? And when I turned 16, I had to have one so my parents would let me go out on my own. And it had an antenna that you had to put on top of your car. It was not a status symbol, friends. It was like, you were the leper of town. Like I would want to hang out with my friends. like, we're not getting in your car. It's got that thing on top of it. And now here he is with the world at his fingertips and he's bored. And so sometimes, you know, like, hey, go outside, get, get in some dirt, do something. How, do you, how are you bored? When you think about the universe, how are we ever bored? That assumes that there's nothing to do. What boredom does is it betrays a lack of imagination. If, I'm, if you're bored, it's probably because we're not engaging in anything that really matters to us. If we're bored, it's probably because we're on the sidelines, and we should be up engaged in something that's making the world better. Curiosity, opening yourself to what could be, listening to your questions, listening to the things that you wonder about. I think that's the beginning, not of some sort of heretical new age, maybe Pamby spirituality. I think that is at the core of what it has always meant to be in relationship with God and the world around you. I think curiosity, I, I think Elizabeth Barrett Browning said it best. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Now, one of the things I think that matters about Grace Point is that I, I think many churches become, have become sort of the centers of the status quo. Let's just keep things how they are. It's good for business. Um, that's somebody, uh, a, a fan on the internet who wrote me and said, the only reason you're doing all this progressive stuff is because you want to make a lot of money. <laughs> it's like, you are out of touch with reality, friend. That is not how this is working out for me. Um, right? I mean, uh, oh, my goodness, that's not, it's not what it's about, but there's this reality that you and I are in faith communities that are trying to become centers of curiosity, not centers of the status quo, not places that just stand up for the way it's always been seen because it's good for business or because we're afraid that if we ask the wrong question that we'll get the wrong afterlife experience. Can you imagine if more churches would, would be willing to do the work of becoming centers of curiosity? It would unlock for so many people a whole new avenue into faith, a whole new avenue into what it could mean to be a follower of this Jesus we, we talk about and love so much. And so I, I just wanna say t- to you as a community, thank you for the ways you've done that for us. Thank you for the ways you've been inspiring to us, that uh, you've encouraged us, that you've walked alongside of us. And I met Stan and became friends with Stan, and then I got so many other friends as a result of it. And, and I like a lot of you, maybe even better than I like Stan. So that's really, really worked out for me. Um, Thank you for what you've done. And I know the road gets hard sometimes. And you all are in a moment where you're about to move into a new space and you have new horizons in front of you. And my encouragement would be continue to do the work of creating a center of curiosity so that people can come and be inspired and have their interest piqued and so that then they can be a part of this beautiful transformation that's happening in the world. Are you with me? All right, let's pray. God, we are grateful that we are deeply loved and valued. We are grateful that we've been given the opportunity to be alive in this place in this time. Give us eyes to see that the bush is always burning. Give us eyes to see that sometimes in the familiar, there's a whole new thing we didn't see before. Open our hearts, not only to you, but to one another, to the world around us. Grateful to be in this place with these people tonight. Um, We pray good things for them as they begin moving forward into new opportunities and new horizons. We're grateful. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.